Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, verse 29, see now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Hmm, Father, teach us what that means. That your son, Jesus, overcame the world, and because he overcame the world, we can be of good cheer. We can have hearts that are strong with joy and peace. Show us, Lord, what that means, that you have overcome the Lord and, and, and that we can participate in that. Father, we pray in Jesus' name just for the fullness of these, these words to come alive, Lord, you promised that they, that they would if we're willing to receive them, that your words are living and active, that they'll cut into the heart and do that surgery. Oh, that we need, God. I pray for do that surgery, Lord, in our hearts, certainly in mine, Lord, all of our hearts, and I, we need it. Lord, you're a faithful surgeon. You're a faithful God. You're, you warn, you exhort, you encourage. Father, we come from many different places of life, Lord, in this room. Some are riding on the crest of a wave. Some, some are in the... In, in the trough of the wave, ready to that wave's about to crash over them, or has crashed, Lord, speak to all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. 
Okay, John chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the book of John, which we've been in for really a few months now. Jesus' final words of instruction and exhortation. Exhortation is a word that builds up or calls to action. But these three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, are his final words of instruction and exhortation to his disciples. In these chapters, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going now. Here are the words I want to leave with you. Don't forget them. Within 12 hours of this point, where he's speaking right here, Jesus would be hanging, unrecognizable, having been beaten so bad on the cross, taking on himself the punishment for your sins. Your sins and mine, the sin of the world, God's justice, then having been satisfied on the cross, paved the way for God's mercy to be poured out on you and me. And Jesus, then being raised from the dead, taken up into heaven by the Holy Spirit, immediately upon being taken into heaven, sent out an invitation to the whole world that anyone willing to come to him as their Lord, their King and Savior and enter into an everlasting relationship with him, they could do it. It was an invitation. Come, Come to me for salvation and an everlasting relationship with me. Now, if I could use one word to summarize chapters 14 and 15 and 16 of the book of John, it's that one word, relationship. You have come to me for salvation. We read about this in the book of chapter 15, chapter before this. You have come to me for salvation. Now abide in me meaning have a relationship with me, stay in relationship with me. And so John 14 and 15 and 16, these final words of Jesus, describe this relationship. It is a relationship we've learned from these three chapters, which is what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about that, which Jesus promises to send after he's taken up to heaven. It's a relationship characterized by love, and, and joy and peace. And, and that's God's heart for you. Remember, these are his final words. He's pouring out his heart. And, and, and his heart, a relationship characterized by love, by joy, by peace. So first that you would come to him. And listen, if you're in this room this morning and you have never done that, you've never come to Jesus as your as your Lord and your King. Don't leave here today without having done that. Tell God, God, I'm done. I am done. I'm done with the life that is all about me, and I want a life that is all about you. God's heart for you is that you would come, and coming to him starts with declaring those kind of words. And number two, though, it's that you be in a nonstop, uninterrupted, 
completely open, transparent relationship with him. A relationship with him that is based on love and joy and peace. And that's what these, uh, these chapters, 14, 15, and 16, these final words of Jesus, words of instruction, his final words of instruction and exhortation, that's what they're about. They're about that relationship he wants with you. The relationship he wants that's based on love, joy, and peace, and a relationship in which love, joy, and peace are the engine or what drives you or empowers you to bear fruit in your life. Fruit that John 15 says remains after you, that stays after you. And even after you die, it continues multiplying forever. That's what real fruit is about, that never stops reproducing. What you do today will show up in someone's life 200 years from now. Please, Jesus, don't wait that long to return. But, but if he does, wait. Until, uh, you know, until whatever, he returns, that fruit will uh, continue to multiply. So last week, again, speaking about relationship, that's what these three chapters are about, we ended in verses 23 and 24. 23 and 24, which is where we began this morning. In that day, you will ask me nothing. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, final words of instruction. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So listen, you can't have a relationship with someone if you're not talking with them. Kind of obvious. You can't have a relationship with someone unless you're talking with them. And that is why uh, prayer is at the very center, the very heart of all three of these chapters, these final words of instruction. Chapter 14, right in the middle of the heart of chapter 14, says this, uh, verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Next verse, verse 14 of chapter 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then, right in the heart of John chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide, that word abide means live. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. Just a a few verses later. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Sound familiar? That's what he said in chapter 14. He says it now in chapter 15 and again in chapter 16. And again, we just read it, heart of This chapter, verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, yes, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so, you know, after each message, practically every message on Sunday, I'm I'm walking home and I'm thinking about something I wish I said Man, I wish I said this. And then usually what happens is, is I feel like I'll hear from the Lord, no, don't worry about it. 
you didn't want to go longer. You went too long anyway. <laughs> you know, it, 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 what you said was, was good. It's what the people needed to hear. The last Sunday as I was walking home, I felt, you know, I really wanted to, to, to make this point, and, and I feel like I got permission from the Lord. We'll make it next Sunday. I rarely get that permission, but I, 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 prayer is just so focused, and I, I so much, the, the leadership of our church wants so much for this church to be a church that's all about prayer. And so, I want to make this point. Jesus himself, he's, he's calling us to prayer, and the heart of these three last chapters, his final words of instruction, he's telling them, pray. And each time he says it, he says it twice, repeats himself. But always remember that Jesus himself was the example for us of prayer. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, says this, Jesus himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. You know, so oftentimes I hear the heart of, uh, of brothers and sisters in Christ. I hear their heart as they pray, and I hear, you know, I, I myself pray, and, and the heart of the prayer is, I want to be like Jesus. A lot of times it's, that's the prayer. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus, I want to be like you. I love you. I want to be like you. You've called me to be like you. Your word says, be holy, even as I'm holy. I, 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 I want to be like you. And usually when Christians are praying that prayer, they're thinking about, in their life, they need to cast out the bad things, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the, you know, uh, away with all of you, or, or, or bringing on into their life the good things, replacing the bad with the good, being patient with others, loving others, serving others. And those are all wonderful things to do, to become like Christ, which he gives us the power of, uh, uh, to do, actually. But listen, there's no way that you can be like Christ. You want to be like Christ? Jesus, I want to be like you. You can't be like him unless you're praying like him. You want to be Christ-like? You're not Christ-like if you're not praying. You can be the most moral, even loving person and the world, but you're far short of being like Christ, which by the way, God gives us all the privilege to be like, like Christ, he gives us that privilege, but we fall way short if we are not praying. It says, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's what he did. So being often in prayer, that just sounds impossible, right? I mean, we went through this last week. It sounds impossible for, for many of us. And really, it's, it sounds impossible. It is impossible in the natural. This is not who we are talking to God in the natural. It's not who we are in the natural. 
But as, as, we, um, as we talked about last week, and if you weren't here last week, I will, I will say it's important that you get online and listen to that message. But if you weren't here last week, the best thing to change your prayer life from being an impossible thing to a very, very possible thing is to bring about change in your mind about prayer. In particular, as you begin to pray, let your prayer begin with the renewing of your mind. A lot more on that on last week's message. Because we think of prayer, we think of a duty, we think of a chore. Now, part of prayer is just that. We are commanded to pray, whether we feel like it or not. So it is true that part of it's like that, but you'll never keep up a life of often prayer, prayer often, like Jesus says, like Luke chapter 5 says. You won't have an often praying, praying prayer life if that is your attitude towards prayer. That's your only attitude. It's a duty. It's a chore. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's time to pray. And you, get, you go to your prayer room or chair or whatever. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to, to, to thrive in a prayer life. So last week I gave my own testimony of what happened to me um, over the last three years uh, where the Lord really brought about an enormous change in my mind as I prayed and in my mind about prayer. And again, if you, you, you weren't here, please listen online. But, you know, God, God has called our church to be an often praying church. But, but you know, and I, it, it's interesting because as I was going home last week from the message, another thought came to my mind, and it wasn't my thought. I felt like it was the Lord uh, speaking to me. And he said, you know, Steve, you painted a picture of your prayer life that was not really accurate, accurate. It was overly rosy. I mean, you painted yourself as more spiritual than you really are. Eek. And you know something? I never want to do that. I, 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 not only is that dishonest, it's hurtful. Anytime a pastor paints a better picture of his walk uh, than is completely accurate. So, um, you know, if you were here last week... What I share with you is about three years ago, almost to the day, I came under great conviction from God that I needed to make an appointment with him every weekday afternoon. Every weekday afternoon, Monday through Friday, and, 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 and make prayer really an often occurring thing so I can be like Christ, but also it says it's my job. Acts chapter 6, verse 4 says pastors should be in Prayer is part of their job description. So I have these five appointments. And, and you know what an average week, week looks like? I will miss one or two of these appointments. That's what life is like. So I'm, I, that's what it's been like for the last three or four, or last three years. Three or four times a week, from one to two hours, sometimes more. Praying to the Lord. Man, if I can get in all five days my appointment, that's a blessed week. A, that doesn't happen too much. But so if you were here and that's what you heard, great. If that's not what you heard, well, that's, that's really the, the accurate picture. I, I don't want to paint 
like this, oh, easy, you know, walking through life. Oh, it's so easy to be spiritual. I've arrived. No, it's a struggle. But it's also, really, it's the most blessed time of the day in which just a peace, a joy settles in. So anyway, I, I described to you how I got to that place where I was doing this and, and, and my life was, was, was full, filled with prayer. And, and, and it is. God, God has made me a man of prayer. And I'm so, I'm, he's got a lot more to do with me in that, in that way, but he has. But I, anyway, the reason I want you to, to get a hold of this message is because I, I went through how in just 30 minutes, actually just 20 to 30 minutes, an appointment, apart from your, any Bible study you may have during the morning or something like that, sometime during the day, dedicated to prayer. And, and, and so uh, renewing your mind and, and making joy the engine of your prayer life rather than duty, <laughs> a sense of duty being the engine of your prayer life. And as you get to that place where, where the expectation of joy, which is what verse 24 says, it says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. As you get to that place, oh man, will your prayer life become so much more consistent? For sure. Okay, so uh, let's continue. Verse 25. These are the last words of instruction that Jesus gives for going to the cross. Verse 25 says, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language. And by that he means he's been speaking to them in parables. Or he's speaking to them, really speaking to them about things that apart from the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be able to fully get. I've been speaking to you in figurative language, he says in verse 25. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. He's referring to when he's no longer going to be there physically, but he's going to be with them by the Holy Spirit, which he promises to pour out immediately or soon after being taken up to heaven. So that's what he's speaking. He says, now I speak with you. You don't understand everything. Then I will talk to you plainly. Verse 26, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So in verse 29, the disciples really don't get what he just said because they don't understand, they can't really comprehend yet what this means, receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they say, well, see, now you're speaking plainly and you're using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you come forth from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Is that so? They're saying, we believe now. He says, do you really? He says in verse 32, indeed the hour is coming, the time is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone. 
because the Father is with me. See, what he's referring to now is in just one or two hours from this time, all his disciples are going to bolt. They're all going to flee. Every single one of them. Mark chapter 14, verse 50, as Jesus is getting arrested. This is what you call clarity. Then they all forsook him and fled. They didn't want to get arrested. They didn't want to get killed. They ran away. And that's what Jesus, he's actually prophesying here on verse 32. He's saying that you, 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 you believe? You're all going to run away. And by the way, take this verse in and just, let, just absorb it. This is the best you can do in your own strength. The very best you can do in your own strength is when things get, things get uh, hot and heavy, you're out of here. You go, you flee. This is who we are. We think we're strong, we think we're cool, we think we're spiritual. Listen, without the Holy Spirit, remember, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus was trying to tell them that. And they're like, oh yeah, no, we know, we believe. He goes, no, listen, without the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen to you. You're all going to run away. And you know, it, 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 it says here, you're, you're going to be scattered each to his own, middle of verse 32, and you will leave me alone. The thing is, is it had to be that way. And it wasn't, I'm not, it's not like their behavior was okay, it was wrong, but Jesus had to be alone. No one could help him do what was necessary for our salvation. No one. Jesus had to bear all the suffering on his own. He, the last thing he said on the cross was what? It is finished or it is done. What was done? Everything that needed to be done in order for us to have an everlasting relationship with God. And there's not one thing. We, we are so utterly helpless. This is what I pray each week for our church, that, you would, that we would all, as a church body, would understand how helpless we are apart from Jesus' salvation. We couldn't add a single thing to what he was going to be doing. Or those disciples couldn't add a single thing to what he was going to be doing. So he was left alone, the Bible says. But I am not alone, he goes on in verse 32, because the Father is with me. So then, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now I don't know about you, but I find this incredibly powerful, just fabulously powerful. Again, John chapter 14 through 16, the last words of, uh, uh, of instruction of Jesus. But these words here in this verse, verse 33, they are the very, 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 very last words. This is the very, very, very last verse of his words of instruction. The next chapter, chapter 17, is a prayer by Jesus, the Son, to God the Father, but right here, this is it. 
They're going to go on now to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray, he's going to suffer, he's going to be groaning in agony in prayer, and, and, and he's going to be taken away. The last line, or two lines, of his, of his sermon to them, his message. So what are they? And this is what I think is just so incredibly powerful. The very final words of Jesus are what? They're about what? In me, you can have peace. In me, you will be of good cheer. In me, this is God's heart for you, brothers and sisters. It's that you would have peace. It's that you would have a heart of good cheer, meaning a, a strong heart, a courageous heart of joy. Jesus' last words. He said, as his words for you this morning. So we're in this afternoon. And so let's just break this down, this last verse. So at the very beginning of the verse, it says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Now, if you have a pen, I want you to, or a pencil, or a highlighter, I just want you to circle in me. In me. Because I've actually counted, there's, I think there's 31 words in this last verse. And all the other words revolve around those two little words. In me, you may have peace. Meaning this, you're never going to be able to manufacture your own peace. You're not going to be able to do it. The world spends virtually 24 hours a day trying to manufacture peace They can never get there. They will never get there. Neither can you as a Christian. As Christians, me, as a pastor, Christian pastor, I spend a lot of time, too much time, day by day, trying to manufacture, make my own peace. Never going to happen. You're worried about your financial future? You try to save up money? You save a lot of money, maybe. It's not a bad thing, but it's not going to give you peace. You're worried about your health, so you take all the right vitamins and, 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 and you do the right exercises. Those are good things, but they're not going to give you peace. They will not give you peace. You're worried about your safety, so you put an alarm on your home, you try to stay in safe areas of town, you get a mace or pepper spray gun or whatever to pr- protect yourself. Those may not be bad things, but they will not bring you peace. You can have a machine gun and stick it up in the back of your jacket. That's not going to give you peace. So don't do that. <laughs> don't go do something stupid like that. It's not going to give you peace. That's how the world buys its peace, but fails. <laughs> You're worried um, because you have kids. And, and boy, do I know all about this. My wife and I have five kids. And, and, and you're all worried about the effect of the world on them, so you go out and make sure they get into the right school, they get the right, you get the right blockers on their phone and computer, that they're not seeing bad stuff, you're making sure their friends are the right friends, you limit their TV, their, uh, you, you manage their uh, entertainment, the social media. Those are not only good things, they are necessary things, parents, but guess what? None of it, as a parent, will give you peace. None of those things. Trust me. The only way to have peace is to recognize that your only peace is, as verse 33 says, in him. It's 
in Christ, in relationship with Jesus. And, and, and we've talked about this the last three chapters. It, in relationship with Jesus means what? It, be, being in prayer, being in the word, being in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Being in Christ in me, you may have peace. So take heart. Take courage. Okay, next part of verse 33, the last part. The last 17 words of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples. He says this, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, period. That's it. Jesus' final instruction, final words of, final words of exhortation instruction to the disciples. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. You'll have tri tribulation. So on Saturday nights, we are currently uh, in our spring session of evangelism training. Uh, I teach this. It's a six-week workshop on how to share your faith. Uh, we... Um, are going through it, and on week one and week two, um, by the way, we'll have, I think next week we'll have the sign up for the summer session, but the first thing, when, when the students come in, the first week, the first week, we teach them about what to say, things they should say, and what not to say, but in the first week we also teach them what never to say, what never, ever, ever to say, and we tell them, look, when you're out there talking with someone and they're talking with you, um, sharing their troubles uh, with you, and they will because this, this world, in this world, there's trouble, there's tribulation. They will be talking with you about their trouble. But when a person is talking with you about their trouble, never, ever tell them that Jesus will take them all away. Don't ever Tell someone that Jesus will take away all their troubles. He, sa he says exactly the opposite. He said, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And so oftentimes, if I can just take a really short rabbit trail here, so oftentimes, this is the gospel you hear. You know, uh, you know someone will be, be describing their troubles uh, in life, and this is, come to Jesus, really. He'll take them all away. And, and, and so they pray, they pray a prayer asking Jesus into your life, and man, those do troubles don't go away, and they're out of here. They were given a false, inaccurate gospel. That's why we like to teach here chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because we get to, to, to these things where we know. Never ever say when talking to someone that Jesus will uh, deliver you from all your troubles. He says the exact opposite. In the world, you will have tribulation. So, here's the line that you can give someone. Say a line. I don't want to 
trivialize it. This is, this is an important thing to say to someone who's sharing troubles, who's interested in coming to Jesus. You say, well, Jesus won't take you away all your troubles, but he promises to be with you in your trouble. And man, is he faithful to do that. So let's pause for a second and think about this. In the world that we have tribulation, why is that? Why is it that in the world we have tribulation and we can always expect that? The answer is, the short answer and then kind of an easy answer, but a good answer is this. All you have to do is go to Genesis chapter (laughs) 3. You don't have to go there right now, but Genesis chapter 3, man created chapter 2 of Genesis in the image of God in a perfect relationship with God. That's how it started, man, in a perfect relationship with God, man and woman. But in Genesis chapter 3, we read, man chose to reject that relationship with God by decided that he wanted to place, replace God with himself as the rule and authority of his own life. I want to be king. I want to be king. Enough of God being king. I want to be king. That's what they did. And the Bible says at that point, man's relationship with God became completely broken, like catastrophic breakdown. And and, and the Bible says that sin entered in at that moment and just permeated, covered, touched everything. And what was the result? Shout it out, someone. Trouble. Trouble. Lots of it. Trouble. Think about it. Just think about your own world that you live in, your own community, your own family. Think about it. If you take away sin, if you take away anger, you think about how much trouble has come into your life because of anger of someone else or anger or your own anger. Think about that. If you take away laziness, now, you know, you you may chuckle, but let me tell you, as a pastor who cares a lot about the city, this city's being destroyed by laziness. Lazy men who don't want to become leaders. They don't want to be, get, step up to the plate and be the leaders of their home. It's destroying the family in the United States of America. How about drunkenness and drugs? That, 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 talking about sin here, what would happen if you take away sin? What would your world look like? What would the world around you look like? What would your history, your, your personal life history look like without any drunkenness in the world, any drugs. How about if you take away this covetous behavior? Tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. What's coveting? Just wanting something and taking something that is not yours. Do you know how much sin, if you just tie it back, it, 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 it ties back to covetous behavior? So much sin. You take sexual immorality, having sex with someone outside of marriage, that's covetous behavior. That's taking something which is not yours 
and taking it for yourself. That's what coveting is. So anyway, think about a world. It's no anger, no laziness, nor drunkenness, uh, or drugs, no, no covetous behavior. And, and, and what do you have? Wow, a completely different world. But man, you introduce those things, anger, laziness, drunkenness, and drugs, covetous behavior, all of which relates back to unbelief in God. What you have is tribulation, and, he, and what you have is a lot of it. You got trouble. You got a lot of it. And I'm not just talking about <laughs> the, the, the unbelief, the anger, the laziness, the, the, the drugs, the covetous behavior of others. I'm talking about in our own heart. And, so you, and then you, you add to that being a, a Christian, and we've already, we talked about this also in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, about that, that, that we become light as we become a Christian with the light of the Holy Spirit inside of us. But guess what? The world is described in the Bible as darkness, and darkness, what? Hates the light. So there's another dose of trouble. But Jesus says this, his last, his very, very final words of instruction. In the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. That word there, some translations are be of courage. It's really more than that. It, it, it's be, have a heart strengthened by courage is really what it means. Strengthened by joy and courage, actually. Have a heart strengthened by joy and courage because I have overcome the world. We can have a heart filled with strength and joy and courage because Jesus overcame the world. Every temptation that the world threw at him, the same exact temptations that are thrown uh, at us, he overcame them. Every fear, every terror that was thrown his way by the devil or who, whatever other means, the world, he overcame them. Every lie, oh man, are there 10,000 voices of lies that we're barraged with every day? Well, he was barraged with the same ones. He overcame them. Just the violence of the world, he overcame. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, he was tested, tempted, and every single thing the world throws at us was thrown at him, and he overcame, and yet without sin. Hebrews chapter four. How did he do it? With perfect patience. With perfect gentleness. With perfect courage, Jesus overcame the world. And in doing so, he became the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God prepared for sacrifice on the cross. He overcame the world and he did it for you. And, and now, uh, having been crucified, resurrected, taken up into heaven, and, and having received him yourself, you get the full benefit of what Jesus did. In this world, 
you're going to have a lot of trouble. But take heart. Be of good cheer. Rejoice. I have overcome the world. Wow. Period. That's it. From this point on, it's a journey to the cross, and that's the end of his message, his sermon, his words of instruction. Jordan announced it before the service began, but this Friday we have an evening communion service, and the weeks of an evening communion service, we shut down all the other Bible studies and the gatherings, and we just focus on communion. And at that service, this Friday night, actually it's right here, it's at 7 o'clock, we have a time of open mic, enough of me giving my own testimonies or my own confessions as I did today. It's time for you to. It's a very important time for a church body, uh, these evening communions. So come on out. There's child care, uh, evening communions. But right now I want to call the worship team up, and I, we want to just close Actually, today we can we have a little time. We can close with a couple uh, worship songs, and uh, yeah, let's worship him. In spite of all the trouble, we can be of good cheer because he's overcome for us. And uh, you know, the world presents to us so many difficulties, so many challenges. God, actually, God Himself presents to us many challenges. He's given us an adventurous, challenging life. But you know, we can, tell, we can tell God the same thing we tell the devil. Thankfully, Jesus overcame, so I'm going to be able to do this. And uh, maybe you have something in your life which uh, maybe, maybe this doesn't ring true. It's like, I don't, I don't know about this good cheer that Pastor Steve is talking about. Come up and pray about it. If you've been asked to pray, please come up at this time, the prayer partners. Or, most importantly, listen up. The Bible teaches that when we come out of our mother's womb, in fact, at the time we're conceived, we're conceived in sin, and we come out shaking our fist at God. And the Bible says that, um, you know, we, we, as we grow up a little, th- four, five, six, seven, we, we kind of figure out how to manage life and we take a lot of that shaking of fists, we take it underground. We smile on the outside, but we're still shaking our fist. And it says the only way to come into a relationship with God. You are not, Calvary Chapel in the city, you are not born into a relationship with God. You're born into a catastrophically broken relationship with God. But Jesus says to to everyone and to you, come, come to me. Come, I invite you to come. And when we come to him, again, it's that thing, it's that declaration with our heart, I'm done. I'm done being my own king, my own God. God, I'm going to let you take over and be God of my life. Have you never done that? I didn't do that until I was 22. Even though I'd been in church many, many times. Have you never done that? The Bible says that 
has to happen for you to go to heaven. That has to happen for you to have that abundant life that Jesus has promised to every person, man and woman, who accepts his invitation or child. And so uh, if you've never done that, please come up. It's a prayer of faith. We're saved by faith, by something that we can do. We can't add to what Jesus did, as we talked about earlier. But he says, come to me. Come to me. Get a wine that you don't pay money for, Isaiah 55. Come get bread that you can't pay, you know, can't pay any money for. It's free. So if you've never done that, come forward or anything else you'd like to uh, pray about. God's stirring your heart. When we rise, I'll close in prayer and we'll worship. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. What a message, Lord, in these three, four chapters, and what an ending. Your heart for us, Lord, that we would have, that we'd have the one thing the world tries after night and day but never gets peace. That's your heart for us. Oh, how we love you for the heart that you have for us. Oh, how we love you for living for us and overcoming Jesus, for dying for us. And now, Lord, just what you began, I pray that you would continue. And just pray in Jesus' name. Complete the work in our hearts that you have intended to complete today, Lord. Complete it. And we worship you now. We bless you now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.